The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsac, Ferrer, Rinola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on April 8th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. Opening day is in the books. We only had seven games and it still feels like there is so much to talk about. So today on the show, we're going to recap all the action that Chris Paddock for Taylor Rogers trade actually went through. So we'll talk about that as well. Week two sleepers and much more. Scott, I tried. I tried to get rid of the oh my goodness gracious. But the people <laughs> have spoken. The listeners spoke. Uh, they reached out. They emailed in. They tweeted at me and they said, stick with it. They, they want to stick with Oh My Goodness Gracious. Now, I want to kind of create a little bit of a rotation here because I, I still feel like we overdo it. So if anyone has great baseball calls, something that you love throughout the years, send it over, tweet it at me, email us, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I want to make a little bit of a rotation that we'll start the podcast with every single day. And with that, take it away, Susan. <laughs> my good goodness gracious oh my goodness gracious player of opening day scott kick us off well i'm not going to claim this is the most important thing that happened so I, I don't know that this needs to lead off the show but this is when we're doing it and it made me say oh my goodness gracious oh my goodness gracious was what spencer strider did in two innings of relief for the braves two perfect innings struck out five had a whiff rate, uh, a swinging strike rate of 33%, eight swinging strikes on 24 pitches, uh, which is just absurd. And, and this is the guy, I've, I've hyped it every chance I could get because between four minor league stops last year, he did 21% swinging strike rate. That's like Jacob deGrom level, you know? And we saw him a little bit in relief toward the end of last season. And, uh, it, you know, we didn't, it, it was his first stint in the majors and, and like it didn't blow anybody away. Uh, so this was really the first chance, the first time we've seen him in the majors and you say, wow, I see where that swinging strike rate came from. The, that fastball is just overpowering and a great slider to go with it. And I like that he went two innings because obviously the only thing that makes him worth talking about on a fantasy baseball context is the possibility of him entering the starting rotation at some point. He moved so quickly through the minors last year that I'm not sure he has a full enough arsenal to, to make that leap yet. And I'm not sure how, if he'll get a chance to develop to 
uh, to develop it now that he's pitching out of the bullpen. But maybe they send him down when the rosters get go back to 26 players and he gets stretched out and we see him again and he's an impact pitcher in fantasy. I think, I think we should have about the same level of optimism for Spencer Strider that we do for Aaron Ashby uh, because I think they're on similar trajectories and I think they have similar upside. All right, Spencer Strider is 7% rostered. I guess, Scott, the question is, what do we do with Spencer Strider right now? Do we add him in deep leagues? Do we just put him on the watch list for now and, and hope that he gets an opportunity in the rotation eventually? What do we do with this amazing outing that he had? Yeah, so that's why it's awkward to lead the show with him <laughs> because I, there's not much. You could, you add him to the scout team, basically. Keep an eye on him. In deeper leagues, if you have a roster spot to play with, sure. You Stashing upside is never a problem, but he's in his current role. He's not going to be that usable. It's just, it's just uh, speculating on the future for what's obviously an impressive pitching talent. Fair enough. Yeah, you mentioned two perfect innings, five strikeouts to zero walks. Fastball looked overpowering. Eight swinging strikes on twenty-four pitches. Thirty-three percent swinging strike rate uh, in this outing. He looked amazing, and he's, I would say, I don't know a couple of Kyle Wright blow-ups or uh, T- Tucker Davidson not looking right, opportunities um, yeah. from Spencer Schreider, you know, maybe getting There's a chance. There's going to be an rotation. opening at some point. Yeah. It's just a question of whether the Braves think he's ready to do that or, or if or if he, or if he you know, makes himself too vital to the bullpen to, for them to even consider it. All right, Scott. Well, uh, I will let you have a co. Oh my goodness gracious, player of the night. Because I know the other player okay. that the other player that you were uh, debating talking about was also amazing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's anything that actionable for him either, because he's universally rostered, and it's Shohei Otani because he did something so historic, something we haven't seen from a player, arguably ever, certainly in the last century his success as a two-way player. I think there was some skepticism. He could do it again. And of course, one day isn't the same as doing it over a season, but if like, he looked even better as a pitcher in this first start, he was going against the majors best offense last year, the Astros and just was awesome. He was awesome. He struck out nine and four and two thirds innings. Okay. He, Four and two-thirds innings, fine. Most pitchers were had very short outings their first time out because spring training was so short. But nine strikeouts and four and two-thirds, inning, two-thirds innings against the majors' best offense last year. And beyond that, his velocity was way up across the board. He averaged nearly 98 on his fastball. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, as good as he is as a hitter, it makes me wonder if we've if there's maybe another step for him to take as a pitcher here, and maybe it will be something of a debate, which role you use him in, in those leagues where you have to pick and choose going into each scoring period, because it was, it was really impressive stuff from him. And, you know, part of it too is I I wonder if he'll be able to take a more regular sixth turn through the rotation this year, kind of last year, you know, they obviously had to limit his innings. It was his first year first full year pitching after Tommy John. And they kind of just randomly, it, it felt random anyway, decided, oh, okay, Shohei Otani's going to start this day. And we had to scramble to get him in our lineups in the leagues where we could. Uh, but hopefully it's a more regular turn and, and maybe we see even more of him in that role than we did last year. That's the hope anyway. There may be more upside here for Otani.
Yeah. 17.5% swinging strike rate in the start against the Houston Astros, a team that typically does not strike out very much. He struck out Jose Altuve three times. Altuve's strikeout rate last year was 13.4%. Otani was amazing. So if you play in a daily lineup league where you can start him as a pitcher on the days that he pitches and as a hitter on the days that he is not pitching, then I hope you used your first overall pick on him because it looks like it is going to be well worth it for Shohei Otani. Uh, for me, Scott, oh my goodness gracious player, Tyler McGill. Uh, he looked very good against the Washington Nationals. Five shutout innings here, three hits, zero walks, six strikeouts, kind of just thrust into this opening day start because of the injury to Jacob deGrom. Max Scherzer tweaked his hamstring, so they pushed Max Scherzer back until Friday. Scherzer will actually be making that start. Uh, 10 swinging strikes on 68 pitches, right around a 15% swinging strike rate. And the fastball velo was up for him too. One and a half miles per hour. He averaged 96 miles per hour in this start. Uh, and he's only 36% rostered. So I think this is actually a player that we can go out there and we can add right now. Uh, he's at the mm -hmm. Phillies next week. I don't know if you know I'm necessarily going to throw him in my lineup right away. There were three names that stood out to me on CBS that are over 60% rostered. Casey Mize, Herman Marquez, Patrick Corbin. I'd be okay dropping any of those for Tyler McGill. Yeah, I would too. I, I, that's a good call. That's that's actually an actionable pick. I was telling you before the show that I think if we're excluding relievers, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to them soon, if we're excluding relievers, we Tyler McGill stands out as the one player who is, based on what he did opening day, uh, somebody you might consider picking up right away. Because, yeah, that, that increase in velocity for him was impressive. He had a fastball. He hit 99.1 with one of his fastballs. 10 swinging strikes on 68 pitches. That's obviously an incredible swinging strike rate. And uh, I, I think it's it's opened my mind to what Tyler, Mag Tyler McGill's upside. You want to call him Tyler McGill, but it's actually Tyler McGill what his upside is. All right, we're in. Go ahead, Tyler McGill. Even if you have a roster spot available, a bunch of players went on the IL on Thursday, so you throw those players on the injured list, you have an open roster spot, go out there and get Tyler McGill on your team if you can. It's got a near, oh my goodness gracious, player for the wrong reasons. feel like we got to talk about this pretty early. Shane Bieber limited to just 72 pitches in his first start, which I'm not really worried about that. I think that makes sense. He had an abbreviated spring training. Uh, he allowed just one run on four and two-thirds. It wound up being an earned run, but the player who scored was on second base because Ahmed Rosario dropped a fly ball in left field. I don't know why they keep trying to put Ahmed Rosario in left field. He's not good there. Anyway, the bigger story for Shane Bieber is that he averaged just 90.6 miles per hour on his fastball. It is the lowest for any start in his major league career. Now, I know the weather was not good there. It was cold. It was rainy. It was windy. But... This is down even further from where it was last year, 92.8 miles per hour. So I don't want to overreact, Scott, because there's going to be a bunch more starts and obviously, you know, more data will come and we could see what the velo looks then. But I also feel like this is something worth talking about and paying attention to. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a stressor that's been added for anyone who has Shane Bieber that wasn't, wasn't there before. I mean, there were some concerns about how he'd bounce back from an injury plagued year, but uh, I don't think anyone is ex expecting him to average 90 miles per hour, closer to 91, right? On his fastball in the opener. A few things you pointed one out. It was very cold. Uh, it was sleeting or something. He said when he was warming up, uh, I think it got up to 
high forties, but not baseball weather clearly. Uh, and, and we saw in another game, but also in the Midwest where it was in the forties, we saw Corbin Burns velocity down. We saw Aaron Ashby's velocity down. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, sometimes that affects pitchers more than others. Two, he's not fully stretched out yet. He threw 72 pitches. He, he, you know, that, that was true for a lot of pitchers, but it's, it's worth considering that aspect of it also. Three, he was effective. Was he Jacob deGrom level effective like we saw in 2020? No, but I don't think anyone expects Shane Bieber to do that ever again. Uh, was he effective enough that you could still see him being an ace if, if this remains his velocity all season long? I think so. It was the Royals lineup, so that's worth taking into consideration. But we've seen various pitchers over the year. Chris Sale stands out. When they have that like clear ace arsenal, their success isn't so tied to the velocity of their fastball. And with Bieber specifically, like his, his two breaking balls, the curveball and slider, are so dominant. And the fastball is almost like a change of pace pitch from them. So I'd rather have him him have more velocity than less. And I hope he regains it. And I'm, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's right to have some concern about what it looked like in this start. But I, I I don't think it's time to panic. I wouldn't be looking to trade him for uh, you know I, I mean if you wanted to consider another hitter who was going in that range fine like that's a lateral move i don't you just don't want that stressor i can understand that but i'm not trading down at starting pitcher with shane bieber right now like i'm not offering him up for sandy alcantara or julio arias or one of those other pitchers that would have been in the tier below him on draft day i don't think it's time to do that yeah i think the key words there that you said scott don't panic it's one day so far of baseball and it's very easy to see velocity down and oh what do i do do i just go out and trade champion no like let's see how things unfold here um don't panic there's a lot of baseball to go and i I happened to see the scrum uh with uh, with the reporters after the game and and one of them did ask him about his velocity if he was happy with where it was it took a while to get to that question most were just asking about how how good he looked frankly but then somebody asked about the velocity and he kind of laughed it off and said, you guys asked me about this two years ago too, or last year, I guess, referring to that start in Detroit when his velocity was also down. Not as much as you point out, Frank. Uh, but it didn't seem like anybody involved in that conversation was particularly concerned about velocity. So worth mentioning that too. All right. Uh, I know you mentioned Corbin Burns in there, Scott. I just wanted to quickly run through his line from the day. He was pretty meh, you know, I mean, in a start against the Cubs, I think coming off the NL Cy Young, we were expecting more than this. Five innings, three runs, three walks, four strikeouts, uh, only 11 swinging strikes on 83 pitches. Velocity was fine. Spin rate was down a little bit on the cutter, but nothing drastic. I think he was just off. Like, the command didn't look very good in this start. Um, I'm not overly concerned with Corbin Burns either. Yeah, no, I'm not either. Nothing seemed, the velocity was a little down, but otherwise everything seemed fine. Let's move over to the pitcher on the other side of that game, though. So a few of your your pitching targets, Scott, in draft season, uh, they came through on opening day. Kyle Hendricks, Zach Greinke, Adam Wainwright, they all looked pretty good. Uh, but we'll start with Kyle Hendricks here. Five and a third, one run, three walks, a hit by pitch. So, like, the control was a little bit off here. Seven strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 83 pitches. Like, 
He basically pulled a Corbin Burns against Corbin Burns. He was awesome. 13 of those swinging strikes came on the changeup, uh, which he used 40% of the time in this this uh, start yeah. here, Scott. Like, if the changeup is going to look like this good, it was gift-worthy, like pitching ninja stuff. This changeup <laughs> was amazing. If it's going to look uh-huh. that good, then then I feel all right about the Kyle Hendricks bounce back. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it's going to look that good every start, right. but you can understand why he threw it 40% of the time. And <laughs> it was it was the one early game today, the one pre-four o'clock game because of some cancellations. So it was the one I'm, I'm sure the majority of baseball fans sat down and watched together. You know, everybody saw Kyle Hendricks and how that changeup was moving today. But yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly he still has some skills he's working with there. And I don't think... Uh, if, if you viewed last season as a collapse, I think uh, I think this opening day start uh, should relieve those concerns. Not saying he'll never have a bad start this year. He's, he's always susceptible to that because he's not able to blow his fastball by hitters, obviously. But I think overall, you'll be pretty happy with Kyle Hendricks. Oh, I've got the West Coast games on right now. Anthony Rendon just missed a two-run homer down the line. It was just left of the foul pole. So if anything happens in these games crazy, I'll let you know. You Darvish had a no-hitter through six innings. We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. Uh, Scott, after Kyle Hendricks came out of the game, this is where we start to get into some of that reliever talk that you mentioned at the top of the show because uh, Rowan Wick came in pitching the eighth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up two hits and a run. Michael Givens then came in, relieved Rowan Wick. He got the final out of the eighth. Then we're left wondering, okay, is Givens going to stay in for the ninth and try and get the save? No. It's David Robertson who comes in. He allowed one hit, picked up his first save of the season, the first save of the baseball season. 25% rostered on CBS. How aggressive are we going to be with David Robertson? Because for at least one day, it looks like he is going to be the ninth inning guy for the Cubs. Yeah, that's the trouble with chasing saves in the year of our Lord 2022 is that like you 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 can't feel that confident that what happens one day is going to happen the next day with any bullpen. Uh, but I started to get the feeling and, and I put in a claim for him in Tout Wars for the first run of fab. But of course, I won my top seven players. So it, I think I had, I probably had the highest bid on David Robertson, but it just didn't get far enough down in my pecking order. So now he's, you know, any leagues where he's out there and, and saves are precious, uh, I, I'm sure he's going to be in high demand. There's nothing to indicate it's not conventional closer usage, right? Because they used his the, the two clearest alternatives in the previous inning as if they were just setting up for David Robertson and David Robertson has the most closing experience in that bullpen. It's been a few years since he's done it, but because of health issues mainly, uh, but he used to be a great closer. So I could see how he could be the guy. And uh, again, in leagues where saves are precious, you can't, you can't afford to be too careful because everybody's going to get gobbled up right away. So I think, uh, I, th- I think I'd, place a if if I was if I really needed saves I think I'd place a decent sized bid on on David Robertson make him I would say there are two no, there's one there's one reliever that I'd prioritize over Robertson who and, is that uh, if, Tony Santian you would the save for the Reds you would prioritize him over David yes. Robertson yes I I don't feel as confident Scott because I feel like when Lucas Sims is ready to return 
Look, if Santian is pitching well, then they'll, they'll just leave him in the role. But I also right. think Lucas Sims is a pretty talented pitcher. Um, and as you just laid out, you know, David Robertson has much more closing experience than someone like, you know, Tony Santian does with the Cincinnati Reds. So I think I would still go Robertson over Santian. But if you need saves, you should probably target both of them, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't, like I said, Tyler McGill is... Uh is a fine target too as a starting pitcher. But if we're just talking about the saves pickups, you you say Lucas Sims is a talented pitcher, and I don't disagree, but he wasn't able to secure that role for the Reds last year. And Tony Centian's a talented pitcher too. In his appearances as a reliever last year, and you know, the overall numbers, they weren't bad, but when he moved to the bullpen is really where they took off. Uh, let me see how many appearances that was. So he made 22 appearances as a reliever for the Reds last year. Had a 2.36 ERA, a 101 WHIP, 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Ace reliever numbers, and then he gets the first chance here to to close out a game and and passes it with flying colors. So, of course, within like every reliever is a bad week away from every closer is a bad week away from losing his job and. When you're less established like Santian is, it might just be a bad day from losing his job. So, yeah, it, it may not work out, but I, I think it could work out too. I mean, Art Warren didn't pitch in this game. Art Warren was the one we were looking at as the potential, as the guy who could potentially seize the role with Lucas Sims out. Um, but he wasn't. He wasn't even asked to to work the eighth. You know, with a. And I guess it didn't become a safe situation till the ninth. Right. It right? was it was kind of weird in that way because it was a six one game and whoever was pitching at the time, it wasn't Art Warren. Uh Luis Sessa actually even pitched before that. That gentleman mm. gave up a two run homer, which made it a save opportunity in the eighth. So then yeah. after that they they get Tony Santian warmed and, and up. I and I think Santian had to start warming up early because of that. So you know, I, I again it's it's hard to feel too confident in anything that you've seen, but when you when you look at what he did in relief last year, and I remember explicitly they said they wanted him to be a high leverage reliever, and, and you know he was he was in consideration for a rotation spot early in spring training, but at one point they said this is going to be a high leverage reliever for us. You see the numbers he had in relief last year. He gets the first shot. Maybe it wasn't by plan, just because he happened to be warmed up already, but he strikes out two in a perfect inning that could be enough for him to get the next chance too. Yep. So I, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not confident Robertson is good enough to keep the job. I feel more confident that Centian has the skills for the role than I do in Robertson having the skills for the role. So that's why I think it took us a while to get there, but that's why I think I prefer <laughs> Santian to Robertson if, if you're having to prioritize those two. Okay. But there may be even a better prospective saves pickup out there who didn't pitch today because his team didn't play today. Who is that? That is Anthony Bender. Oh, he is. Don Mattingly has said that he's their go-to option for the ninth inning, at least to begin the year, with Dylan Floro unavailable. But he's better than Dylan Floro. And uh, we always worried he was going to be a threat to Floro's role at some point. I just didn't expect to get something so definitive right away, you know, from Mattingly. Bender's the guy? Okay. Well, that counts for more than this guessing game we have going on with David Robertson and Tony Santian. 
So I, you know, if, if he goes right to the top of the, uh, the, the waiver claim list for me, if I'm, if I'm looking for saves, if I don't need saves, obviously who cares, but a lot of people out there do need saves. All right, Scott. So, I mean, let's just talk about relievers that we're dropping to pick these guys up. Someone asked me as soon as Robertson got the save, should I drop Camilo Doval for David Robertson? And I was like, I think so. Like <laughs> Gabe Kapler said that Jake McGee is the closer. And even if he's not, yeah. I think that they can kind of split the role. So yeah, I think I would do that. What do you say Doval for Robertson or I guess any of these relievers? I go back to, I'm just not sure Robertson's good enough. He may be the best reliever in that bullpen because they don't have great relievers, but I'm not confident in that. So, you know, I, I have, I'm a lot more skeptical that Jake McGee's really the Giants closer. We've talked about this before. So I am attached to Camilo Doval in a way that you aren't. I don't think I'd do that. I don't think so. Now, somebody did ask me in a saves plus holds leagues if they would drop Robert Suarez, not Ranger Suarez, Robert Suarez, the Padres reliever, who looked like he was in line for saves until they went and acquired Taylor Rogers. And by the way, uh, Bob Melvin, the Padres manager, confirmed that Taylor Rogers will be the Padres closer. So Robert Suarez isn't a closer anymore. But it's a saves plus hold league. And I told him he could drop Robert Suarez for David Robertson in that particular format. Yeah. But... I- but it was a close call is the thing. Like, I, I just feel like that's your one chance at David Robertson. Well, you, you may have future chances at Robert Suarez. Okay, so you're not dropping Duvall for Robertson in a league with just saves. Would you drop Duvall for any of Bender or Santian? I would drop him for Bender. Okay. Would you yeah, drop- I mean, Bender's a confirmed closer as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Now, he may... He may get rocked in his first outing and not be a confirmed closer anymore, but uh, but I, I think he's good, and Mattingly says he's the guy. So, yeah, I, I, I would pri- prioritize him over somebody else who I think is good and hasn't been confirmed as the guy. Okay. Uh, last two questions here. Anyone from the Mariners-Rangers bullpen, those two bullpens, would you be comfortable dropping those names? I know it's a lot of names, but... There's no confirmed closer for any of those. Um, and here we have, you know, three that we feel pretty good about. Would you be all right making those swaps? Yes. Yes. I, I don't think I need to hold anyone in the mirror because that's just such a mess. Yep. I would take any prospective closer, unless it's a saves plus holds league, because obviously uh, Paul Seawalt has those amazing ratios. Uh, but any other Mariners reliever, even in a saves plus hold league, I would drop four. Any of the guys we've talked about, Anthony Bender or Tony Sintian or David Robertson. All right. Uh, I mentioned at the top of this, we started talking about Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Zach Greinke was very serviceable in, in his return. Five and two thirds, one run, only one strikeout. Uh, Adam Wainwright, surprise, surprise, delivers the first quality start of the season. And he also gets the win. Six shutout, five hits, six strikeouts two zero walks. The 2022 Masters is underway and the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with round-by-round coverage after every tournament day. Rick Gaiman, Kyle Porter, and the First Cut crew are breaking down the odds board every night and bringing you analysis from the grounds of Augusta National. Go join the First Cut Golf Podcast available wherever you are listening to this podcast. And right after you do that, 
join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. If you haven't already, it's a fun community of other listeners. They're answering questions, helping each other out, having fun. Facebook.com slash groups slash Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's get into some news and notes, and then we'll get back into uh, the rest of opening day's action. Okay, trades. We had some trades on Thursday. Surprise. That's it, it, basically been the, the story of the offseason. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Padres and the Twins actually went through with that reported trade from Wednesday night. Chris Paddock, Emilio Pagan, and a player to be named later to the Minnesota Twins in exchange for Taylor Rogers and outfielder Brent Rooker. And Scott, as you mentioned, uh, Bob Nelvin uh, already named Taylor Rogers as the team's closer. So good news there. However, there is a ripple effect. Uh, I would assume that in any type of saves league, we can drop Robert Suarez. Yes, though he may get the save here on opening day because Taylor Rogers isn't available yet. Apparently, he's warming up to enter in the night. So that's that's going to be extra confusing for everybody. But <laughs> yeah, I would say traditional fantasy leagues that only reward saves. Robert Suarez, again, not Ranger Suarez, can be dropped. All right, and then remind the listeners how you would prioritize the Twins relievers. I know we spoke about this speculatively on yesterday's podcast, but... There's Tyler Duffy, Jorge Alcala, uh, Yoan, I believe you pronounced his last name, Duran. That's what you said yesterday. And then now Emilio Pagan is in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. I like that's that's gonna it's gonna take a few weeks for that situation to shake yeah. out, I think. You're forcing me to pick up somebody. I'm gonna say on a hunch, Jorge Alcala, who was he, he he seemed to overtake Tyler Duffy as the eighth inning guy late last year, and I think he's a better bat misser than Tyler Duffy. But it could be either one of them, and and like Yoan Duran, like is I I feel like he's a dark horse to be just like this this ace reliever type. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't forget about him either. But it, Jorge Alcala's my Alcala's my guess for who gets the who is prioritized in the ninth inning to start out. All right. The Padres, by the way, they have a two run lead and they're in the top of the ninth. So uh, I guess we'll find out right away. Who's pitching the bottom of the ninth. My guess would be Robert Suarez. He hasn't uh, pitched yet in this game. Taylor Rogers, not yet ready to go for the Padres. Um, Apparently the twins will go with a six man rotation. Uh, Scott, do you have any interest in Chris Paddock? He's 24% rostered on CBS. No, but I do want to say, I do want to say, Vindication for the Marlins, who uh, at one point in time traded traded Chris Paddock to the Padres for Fernando Rodney. And it, for a while there, it looked like it was going to be one of the all-time trade blunders. Funny the way things work out. Now it seems like the Padres traded Fernando Rodney for, for Taylor Rogers. I know that's not exactly right, <laughs> but it's just... It's just kind of funny the way uh, Chris Paddock's stock has changed over the past couple years. Yeah, I remember his rookie season. We were talking about, I don't know. I don't know if you were, but I saw around the industry that, you know, he's like a top 10, top 15 starting pitcher for Dynasty. And that's boom. That's how quickly things can change uh, with starting pitchers. It's, It's just crazy. The other trade that went down on Thursday, much Smaller trade. The Blue Jays acquired outfielder Bradley Zimmer from the Guardians for reliever Anthony Castro. Uh, good news for Brian Hayes is that he signed an eight-year, $70 million contract extension. Uh, and uh, 
to, that was to start Thursday. And then the bad news was that he exited Thursday's game in the first inning, very first inning, uh, and he left with cramping in his left thumb and forearm. I was all nervous, Scott, because he's holding his wrist, the forearm area, and last year he missed all that time with his left wrist injury, and I think that's what many people attribute his just really bad season, um, if we're being mm-hmm. honest. You know, in terms of power, there was nothing there for Brian Hayes last year. So hopefully this isn't something that, that lingers again. Um, but apparently he's good to go, and he'll be back in the lineup uh, by Saturday. So... Something to watch there with Kid Brian Hayes. Uh, from one third base injury to another, the White Sox placed Juan Moncada on the IL with an oblique strain. He's expected to miss three weeks. Leori Garcia and Jake Berger are expected to fill in. Uh, Scott, if you need a third base replacement, the names that stood out to me in shallower leagues, Jamer Candelario and Eugenio Suarez. Who might you like? I like both, I like both of their matchups for this upcoming week if we're thinking short term. Okay. I actually have Jamer Candelario in the top 10 sleeper hitters for week two. So that's one place to look. If you're in a deeper league, like Jake Berger is pretty interesting in his own right. He, um, the little bit we saw of him in the majors last year, he hit the ball very hard and had good power numbers in the minors too. All right. If you are in a deeper league and need a third baseman, Jonathan VR, especially if you're in a categories league, he didn't start on Thursday against a right-handed pitcher. So, I thought that was curious, but I think when he plays, he could provide some steals. Uh, and then Kevin Smith, who we spoke about on yesterday's podcast. Again, those are just for deeper leagues. They're both uh, rostered in less than 20% of CBS leagues. CJ Abrams, good news. He officially made the Padres roster. Congrats. You are on the bench on opening day against the lefty <laughs> in Madison Bumgarner. And I mentioned yeah. this uh, earlier in the week, Scott, where yeah, I heard a quote from uh, Bob Melvin where he said, he envisions this being a platoon situation where C.J. Abrams will likely start at shortstop against right-handed pitching, and then Hassan Kim will start against right-handed pitching. And so far, mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to stick with it. Yeah, I mean, it's one game. Like If if C.J. Abrams is as electrifying as he, we think he can be, I mean, you can't you can't inhibit his development by only playing him against right-handed pitchers. So I, I think he could certainly force himself into a true everyday role. All right, and and like managers tend to mix it up more at the start of the season with their lineups. It, it they they eventually settle into a groove, uh, and I think that's but I, and I think that's going to be especially true particularly this season because spring training was so short. And I know like the Phillies have talked about part of the reason they kept Bryson Stott up is because they don't feel like any of their middle infielders or any of their infielders are ready to play every day yet. And and maybe that's how a lot of teams feel. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out so much if a player you like is, is out of the lineup on occasion here, the first couple weeks. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of that. In Abrams' case specifically, maybe it'll be a true lefty-righty thing, but I, I'm not sure that's going to be a long-standing issue for him. I'm still very excited to roster him in any league. Boom! Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez go back-to-back. Home runs here in the eighth inning of that game. Nice to see some power from uh, Alex Bregman early on. The Reds are still hopeful that Luis Castillo can return in April. Uh, Don Mattingly, we mentioned this already, said that Anthony Bender likely to get the first save opportunity for the Marlins. He's 25% rostered. Alex Cora said that the Red Sox won't have a set closer to start the season. Scott, let's throw Matt Barnes in that mix. Would you drop Barnes for any of 
Santian, Bender, Robertson. Hmm. I think I think so. I hesitate because despite what Alex Cora says, I don't know who else would be the closer. I know I know Matt Barnes' velocity was down in spring training and they had some ideas for how they could fix it. Something was going on with his delivery and, and maybe they just maybe he's saying that just because he wants to make sure Matt Barnes is okay before he commits to anything. Uh but yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Definitely, definitely drop him for Bender. But it's a closer call, Santian and and uh Robertson. I think it kind of depends on how shallow your league is. You can get away with dropping Barnes more in a shallower league, I would say. Mm-hmm. Robert Suarez, by the way, is indeed coming in for the ninth inning to secure a two-run lead, um, trying to lock down the save for the Padres. Man, this sucks, too. For people who drafted late or you picked up Robert Suarez, and I think that there was a real opportunity for him, especially if he converts this one. Like He could have been the guy, but... Yeah, they traded for Taylor Rogers, and and now it's going to be him. And I, and I thought I was speculating, like, are we sure Taylor Rogers is going to be the closer because he's the only? They have a bunch of high leverage righties, and he would be the only lefty. Uh, but Bob Melvin cleared it up, so fortunately, we don't have to speculate. Yep. Uh, all right, uh, Phillies outfielder Mickey Moniak, another unfortunate one here, diagnosed with a hairline fracture in his right hand, will miss the next six weeks. And spoke about him recently, and there was some hype growing. He was going to start in center field against right-handed pitching. Uh, that will not be the case. A few lineup notes from opening day. Dylan Carlson led off for the Cardinals. Tommy Edmond was batting ninth. For the Braves, uh, they were going up against a right-handed pitcher in Tyler Malley. Matt Olson hit second. Ozzie Albies hit fifth. Dansby Swanson was batting ninth. Michael Brantley still batting second for the Astros. Kyle Tucker was batting sixth. No Jake Frehley against a left-handed pitcher uh, in the Reds lineup. Aristides Aquino was batting second for them. I mentioned no Jonathan Villar for the Cubs. Ahmedo Rosario started in left field for the Guardians. Uh, Andres Jimenez was at shortstop. J.D. Davis was the DH and batting second against left-handed pitcher Patrick Corbin. No Dominic Smith in that game. Uh, And then Joe Madden being Joe Madden. Matt Duffy was the cleanup hitter against left-handed pitcher Framber Valdez on opening day. Uh, a bunch of players. Uh, I, I do want to point something out with that Mets lineup arrangement, though, because okay, it was a lefty, so we saw JD Mar- we saw JD Davis in there, and we saw Brandon Nimmo not in there, which I don't think is the two that we were necessarily expecting to platoon in that lineup. So what they did was they played Jeff McNeil in left field. They played Robinson Cano, the presumptive DH, at second base. And J.D. Davis was in the lineup at utility. So, and, and by the way, Mark Canna was playing center field. So if they're willing to go with that defensive alignment here on opening day, they're willing to play Canna in center, they're willing to play Jeff McNeil in left, they're willing to play Robinson Cano at second base, what that tells me is that there's room for both Cano and Dominic Smith in that lineup if they want there to be. Now, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to send Brandon Nimmo against... Righties, as good of an on-base guy as he is, but it just, I thought it was interesting. Yep. Uh, worth mentioning, Scott, Brendan Nimmo, not in the lineup. He's dealing with that neck injury, too, so okay. uh, yeah. I think that was, like, the main reason he was out, but, yeah. They don't uh, like him against righties anyway, though. I was watching that game. Robinson, I mean, lefties. They don't like him against lefties. Yeah. Robinson Cano, brutal in the field. The guy's done. They, <laughs> they, <laughs> they cannot play him at second base, which I don't know what that means for Dominic Smith, but he was 
He was bad, man. The range. Look, he's nearly 40 years old, so it makes sense. But yeah. I, I don't know how long that experiment is going to last. Robinson Cano at second base. A bunch of players officially placed in the IL on Thursday. Jacob DeGrom, Lance Lynn, Shane Boz, Lance McCullers, Dylan Floro, Josh Rojas, Ken Giles, Mike Clevenger, Kyle Lewis, uh, James Caprillion, and James Karinchek. Let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, we'll take a look at some hitting performances from opening day here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Scott, I want to quickly run through some uh, rookie debuts. I don't know that there's much to take away from this, but we're talking about Seiya Suzuki, one for two, with two walks and a run scored. I was really impressed by his approach, uh, the plate discipline, especially going up against Corbin Burns. He just did not look intimidated at all. Bobby Witt Jr. went one for four with the go-ahead RBI double in the eighth inning of that game. I saw him trying to leg out a ground, a ground ball, too, Flying. The guy was flying down the line. Like the speed is legit. Like Bobby Wood is gonna steal 20 plus bases if he stays healthy. I, I feel pretty confident in that. Um and then Steven Kwan, he went one for two with two walks. One of those came against a very tough lefty in Jake Brents. He is only 13% rostered. So uh I guess of all these three, Scott, the only one that you can add if you want to is, is Steven Kwan. hmm Yeah, it's, I, I like that they kept him in to face that lefty. because uh, my biggest concern you know, some some on the Guardians beat were making it sound like he made a, the roster because they needed an extra outfielder and he had a good spring and, and not necessarily like he was going to be a cog in the Guardians lineup that the organization viewed him that way. But he had very impressive numbers in the minors last year, walked more than he struck out and showed power for the first time. So I think in any leagues that penalize extra for strikeouts, like a minus one uh, point for every hitter K, Juan needs to be rostered and in certain five outfielder leagues, probably have to be 12 team league or more probably needs to be rostered in those formats too. Robert Suarez has walked the first two batters that he's faced and the Padres are rapidly getting their bullpen up with other arms. So uh, I'll keep Mm. you posted with uh, what happens here. All right, Scott, a few hitter performances um, that are worth talking about in terms of um, waiver wire uh, availability. Where should these hitters be rostered, if anywhere? Andrew McCutcheon, we just spoke about yesterday. He went two for five with a double in RBI. Four hard-hit balls. He's 36% rostered. Uh, Both of his hits came against a right-handed pitcher in Kyle Hendricks. And Andrew McCutcheon was brutal against right-handed pitchers last year. Uh, Where, if anywhere, should we be adding Andrew McCutcheon? Uh, Well, I like him as a sleeper in week two. He's my number two sleeper hitter. And yeah, I, I like him in a general sense, too. It's always tough this time of year because the roster space is so limited. And Mm -hmm. just because I don't think, you know, he's the old guy. He's the old guy who appeared to be an obvious decline last year. So I I don't think after a two for five performance on opening day, your league mates are rushing to add Andrew McCutcheon. So I'd kind of play it cool for right now, unless there's just somebody you're dying to drop. But yeah, keep an eye on McCutcheon. 
All right, Ian Happ went three for four with two doubles, two RBI, zero strikeouts, four hard hit balls. He is 47% rostered. Uh, Where, Scott, should we add Ian Happ, if anywhere? So he is among my top 10 sleeper hitters for next week, but he's a lower priority than McCutcheon. Uh, I know one of those doubles was pretty cheap. It should have been a fly out. Yelich just didn't get get to it in time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of downside with Hap, even though there's some power, too. Uh, Miles Straw went two for four with a walk and a stolen base. He is 45% rostered. We were talking before the show, Scott. I said, this guy needs to be rostered in every categories league. The problem is there might only be 45% of, of CBS leagues are category leagues. So I I don't know if yeah, he should be uh, added I'm anywhere not even else. Sure that many. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, I certainly want to be viewing Miles Straw as a points league guy. At this stage, anyway. Yeah. If he's available, again, though, head-to-head categories, any type of roto league, three outfielders, five outfielders, again, any categories, Miles Straw should be rostered in your league. Uh, Maybe take this with a grain of salt because the Nationals pitching is awful. Patrick Corbin was on the mound on Thursday, and I think that we're going to be targeting uh, using hitters against the Nationals pitching staff all season, but each of Mark Canna, Robinson Cano, and Jeff McNeil had two hits on Thursday, Scott, and they are all under 50% rostered. Are you excited to add any of those? Canna, Cano, McNeil? Not really. My favorite is probably Cano, actually, but we'll see if he's, you know, he was in the lineup for a lefty on opening day, obviously. We'll see if he's definitively an everyday player and uh, and go from there. But no, after one game, him getting two hits, that doesn't really mean much to me. All right. Uh, Stud hitters doing stud things. Just quick mention here. Austin Riley, three for four with his first homer. A very welcome sight for you, Scotty. Uh, Juan Soto crushed his first home run of the season. The Cardinals just had an absolute onslaught against the Pirates. They put up nine runs in that game. Uh, Home runs for each of Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arenado, and Tommy Edmond. O'Neill went two for five with a homer. Five RBI in that game. He was batting third. That's the case. Lots of RBI opportunities for Tyler O'Neill this season. Paul Goldschmidt went one for one with four walks and his first steal. It was such an odd line to look at, but it was a great game for him. Um, he was 12 for 12 in steals last season, and I don't know. I mean, if he's running on opening day, yeah, maybe he can get double-digit steals again. I, I don't know. It's something to watch yeah. for Goldie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it doesn't take many stolen bases to be relevant in stolen bases, and already he has one. So that's that's notable, I would say. Also in that... Pirates Cardinals game. Uh, we didn't mention it in the reliever talk. Chris Stratton worked the seventh inning of a game that was five nothing at the time. The Pirates were trailing five nothing. It ended up being a nine nothing game. And Stratton was used in the seventh. So that is a blow to his save prospects. And I would say you could drop him for any of those relievers we were discussing earlier. You could drop him for anyone you want, frankly, because I don't. I don't feel like he's going to be that useful based on that opening day usage. All right, Scott, two pitchers I want to mention in terms of a either pitch mix or velocity change that I noticed on opening day. Max Freed, he was mediocre. Actually, you know, the final line ended up quite bad. Five earned runs over five and two-thirds, five strikeouts. Uh, but his fastball velo was up 1.3 miles per hour in this start. And opposing him, Tyler Malley, who routinely pitches very well on the road. He did that again here in Atlanta. Five innings, one run, seven strikeouts. But what caught my eye is he used a cutter 15% of the time in the start 
a pitch that he has not used since 2019. So if we're talking about a four-pitch mix for Malley where he's using a four-seam, a slider, a splitter, and a cutter, it might raise the overall upside for him. It might, but I'm not convinced the cutter's that good. Okay. So I, I wouldn't want him to I wouldn't want him to use it that much. It might be useful as as sort of a change up. I mean, it's his second hardest pitch, but uh, you know, maybe it looks more like the fastball than the than the others do out and, and can help keep hitters off balance. But I, I don't think he's gonna miss a lot of bats with it. So I I don't know what to make of it yet. But yeah, it was interesting that he brought it back after two years of not throwing it. All right, a few starters who were pitching in relief, or I guess just pitchers, we don't really know what their role is yet, but Tristan McKenzie, um, he pitched in relief in this game. Three innings, two runs, two walks, one strikeout. The Guardians don't need a fifth starter until April 12th. I haven't seen anything, so I'm just going to assume Tristan McKenzie is still in their rotation. Uh, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think so. I will point out he had one swinging strike on 47 pitches. He could not command his fastball at all either. I was watching mm-hmm. that game. Yeah. So, not great for my guy, Tristan McKenzie. Uh, Aaron Ashby with the Brewers, a popular breakout sleeper candidate. One and two-third, three hits, one run, one strikeout. Scott, they haven't really revealed if they're going with a six-man rotation yet or not. So, I... Yeah, I, I mean, I presume not since he worked. It was worked this hard on opening day. I, I mean, I guess we point out McKenzie is still able to make his next turn if they want him to so I guess you could say the same for Ashby if it's a six-man rotation but I don't know and and I I will reiterate his velocity was down a couple miles per close to a couple miles per hour in this first appearance all right um would you drop Ashby for Tyler McGill Scott I think so yeah I think so I mean Ashby probably isn't going to be that usable right away anyway and and I really like the upside McGill showed so hope hope to sneak Ashby through and and maybe have a shot at him later. One other bullpen note, the Royals, uh, Josh Stallman entered with two outs and the game tied in the seventh inning. And then Scott Barlow pitched in the eighth to face the heart of the lineup in a tie game. The Royals took the lead in the bottom of the inning and then Scott Barlow came back out to pitch the ninth. So he pitched two innings. He wound up with the win and he looked very dominant doing so. So I think some confidence there in Scott Barlow, Robert Suarez update. He walked two and then hit another batter and he's out of the game. And now Craig Stammen is coming in with the bases loaded, no outs, and a two-run lead. So hmm. good luck, buddy. Stammen's an interesting choice, but... Yeah. Uh, well, Pierce Johnson pitched before that and they used Tim Hill in the seventh. I know he's a lefty specialist, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's... I want to quickly just talk about in the start, Scott, you Darvish... Six no-hit innings, four walks to three strikeouts. And we're, we're talking before, it's like kind of a weird start because obviously, look, six no-hit innings are, are, are six no-hit innings. It's impressive. But his spin rates were way down. He didn't get a ton of swings and misses in this game. I don't know if he was actually good or the Diamondbacks were are just bad. Or, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know that it has to be either. I think there are some pretty good hit- hitters in the Diamondbacks lineup and and maybe they just didn't happen to get hits today. But yeah, I I think I'm more discouraged than encouraged by Darvish's performance. The lack of strikeouts, all the walks, the spin rates being down. He looked he looked pretty impressive in spring training and uh there was talk of how uh how he was dealing with a hip injury 
throughout the second half last year that kind of impacted his lower body, and maybe that was an explanation for his struggles. But I have I have further questions after this first start, even though it was six no-hit innings. All right. Uh, Framber Valdez was awesome in his start against the Los Angeles Angels. Six and two-thirds shutout, two hits, one walk, six strikeouts. He had 11 swinging strikes on 84 pitches. The uh, sinker velo was actually up one mile per hour. Uh, so all around a, a great performance for Framber Valdez. The Astros are up three to one in the eighth inning. And I first... Ooh, Seth Beer just hit a three-run ding-dong. Ooh! Off our guy Craig Stammen. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Is that a... Oh, that's a walk-off, too. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he heard you say... Damn. He heard you say they're bad. He wanted to show you. Beer me! Seth Beer. Seth Beer, <laughs> let's go. Ding-dong. All right. Uh, yeah, Diamondbacks win in dramatic fashion. All right, Scott, let's uh, let's wrap up. I, I think that's pretty much everything we need to hit on uh, for opening day, and, and we'll get into your week two sleepers here. Again, we spoke about some of these names yesterday. I think there'll probably be some overlap, but uh, for people who are playing in the short week one, just setting your lineup for this Thursday through Sunday, you're going to have to set your lineups again on Monday, April 11th mm-hmm. through Sunday, April 17th. So there are two yep. teams that have five games next week. That is the Diamondbacks and the Astros. There are 14 teams with seven games next week. And the Rockies, we're always watching to see where the Rockies are playing. They have six games. Four of those are coming at home next week. Uh, Scott, why don't you kick us off with some sleeper pitchers here in week two? Well, did you, there, you mentioned there are two game, teams with five games? Yes, the D-backs okay. and the Astros. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I also want to to mention we're calling this week two. We're we're from this point forward, we're numbering the weeks according to leagues that went with the short week one, because that's the CBS default. So I hate the short week, Sorry. by the way. I should have mentioned that on <laughs> yesterday's podcast. If you play in a head-to-head matchup, four days of baseball for some teams, three days, it's just not enough. So I like to play the long week, but I you can't know. be sure all you, you're gonna get. <laughs> a full lineup of starting pitchers. That's for sure. That's that. I think that's probably the biggest downside to it, but, but yeah, we're, we're numbering the weeks based on the short week. So officially this is known as week two, even though your week two may not begin till the following Monday. Anyway, uh, sleeper pitchers for week two. So I initially sent you Tony Gonsolin at the top of this list, but the Dodgers have rearranged their rotation. So he's just a one star pitcher against the Reds. I still think he qualifies as a, as a sleeper pitcher, though, I like him this year. And this will be his second start in week two. So hopefully he'll be stretched out a little more than uh, a lot of the guys we saw pitch here in the opener. Uh, I like Matt Brash. He's in line for two starts at the White Sox versus the Astros. Tough matchup, but I think the skills are enough that him being a two-start pitcher, I could, I'd be willing to roll the dice on that unless I had a, a staff full of studs. Carlos Carrasco against the Diamondbacks. I'm hopeful on a rebound for him, and that's a good matchup. Jordan Montgomery at Baltimore, and the matchups don't get much better than that. I think that's why you roster somebody like Montgomery for matchups like that. A couple more two-star guys, Nestor Cortez versus Toronto at Baltimore. Okay, that makes it worth using, I think, in leagues where you're looking to fill a pitching spot. Not saying he's must-start or anything, but we're, we're talking sleepers. We're just focusing on guys who are available. Dakota Hudson versus Pittsburgh at Milwaukee. Those are two pretty good matchups. Obviously not going to give you a lot of strikeouts, but he's a good ground ball pitcher. 
Mitch Keller gets the Nationals in their not-so-great lineup in his first start. Might be worth a roll of the dice. See how that new velocity plays in a regular season setting. Merrill Kelly at the Mets. Uh, Zach Eflin at the Marlins. And one more two-start option here. Waskari Noah versus the Nationals at the Padres. Probably wouldn't recommend him if it was a one-start pitcher with either of those matchups, but for two, at least in a points league, somebody to consider. Scott, you can't make this up. Apparently, Thursday, April 7th, when we're... Technically, we started recording this after midnight, but when the Diamondbacks game started, it was Thursday, April 7th, which is National Beer Day. Boom. Wow. You cannot make that up. Seth Beer with the walk-off on National Beer Day. That is awesome. They already named the day after him. (laughs) Uh, For sure. Uh, All right, let's get into uh, some sleeper hitters here as well. Uh, I don't see Seth Beer on this list. Who are some names you like, Scott? Oh, no, not with the Diamondbacks playing five games. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so the Rockies are at the Rangers against two bad pitchers and then at home for four games. So I like Randall Gritchick. He's my number one sleeper hitter for this upcoming week. Andrew McCutcheon, as I mentioned earlier, he's number two. The Brewers have four lefties on the schedule in seven games, and he crushed lefties to the tune of uh, like 1,000 OPS last year. And we think he's healthier this year. So like those two a lot. The Tigers have the second, the third best matchups this upcoming week. And I like Robbie Grossman, who's available in nearly half of CBS Sports Leagues. I, I like him for either format, frankly. Uh, a little further down the list here, Jonathan Scope, Jamer Candelario. The sort of borderline hitters you're going to see in this in recommended often just because of the roster the 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 range they're rostered in you know so whenever they have good matchups we're probably going to talk about them a lot adam duvall i don't i don't you know the matchups aren't blow you away good but i i just think he's the matchups are decent he's too good to be as available as he is he's going to drive in a ton of runs this year i think again and hit a ton of home runs uh ian happy we mentioned earlier i like the cubs matchups i actually like them most of all so uh you know, I, I don't know that I love Ian Happ as a hitter, but the matchups make him worth it. Uh, Connor Joe, we'll see how much he plays, but he has the same favorable matchups as Grichik, and he's highly available. Uh, Lane Thomas is also highly available. Seven game week for the Nationals with a bunch of with three lefties on the schedule, and he did most of his damage against lefties last year. And finally, Alejandro Kirk, I'm going to mention here who's still available in a third of CBS Sports Leagues. Uh, The Blue Jays get seven games. I think if he starts four or five of those games, you'll be happy with that you you used Kirk in your catcher spot, unless you have an obvious stud there, of course. But if you're, you know, he's an upgrade over somebody like, I don't know, who's a fringe catcher, Gary Sanchez, somebody like that. Yeah. I'd definitely swap him out for Kirk. All right. Uh, Scott, of all the names on this list, who do you think will be this year's CJ Crone? Because I feel like you had CJ Crone on the list of sleeper hitters every single week, or at least when he was home. Well, until he became too rostered to be on the list, right? (laughs) Right. That eventually happened. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's going to be Randall Grichick, Scott. I think he's going to be. Well, I mean, yeah, you have the Colorado angle going on there. Yeah. But if, 
I'm surprised he's only 57% rostered on CBS for as much as we were hyping him after the trade, as much as we moved him up in our rankings. So it could be him. Yeah, I mean, as, as long as he's as available as he is, anytime the Rockies are home, I'm probably going to recommend him. <laughs> but until I would say Adam Duvall has a chance to be too until he gets that roster rate up. He's just... Uh, he, he could just do so much damage in a short period of time. All right, the... So, all right, Duval, name there for you. The teams with the best hitter matchups, again, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Tigers, the Rockies, and the Brewers, the teams with the worst hitter matchups in Week 2. The Reds, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Cleveland Guardians. And we are going to end the podcast with streamers for the weekend. And, and we're going to do this, uh, we're going to end every podcast with this. To stream or not to stream is what we like to call this. And uh, for those of you who play in daily lineup leagues, we'll run through some pitchers. I'll ask Scott, you feel all right streaming this guy for the next day or, or the day after that? And uh, yes or no. And then we'll we'll end the podcast with this. Scott, a lot of these names are ones that we've already talked about. These these were a lot of your sleeper pitchers. But uh, in case... Wait, someone, wait, wait. I, I thought you gave me the whole list and then I gave you one or two favorites from that list. Is that what we did last year? Yeah, because the yes or no thing was... It was just too much. A lot much. of notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I tried to cut out the players that I just knew that you automatically were going to say no. So I don't, maybe uh, maybe this will be a little bit more efficient. But uh, for Friday, if people are looking to stream in daily lineup leagues, Josiah Gray against the Mets. I'll just throw them all your way and you tell me who you like. Josiah Gray against the Mets. Reed Detmers against the Astros. Merrill Kelly against the Padres. Jake Odorizzi at the Angels. Yeah, the only one I might roll the dice on is Merrill Kelly against the Padres. I think that's the best matchup for the four pitchers, and I'm hopeful he found something this spring with that reworked changeup. All right, on Saturday, we have Drew Rasmussen against the Orioles, Mitch Keller at the Cardinals, Miles Michaelis against the Pirates, and Kyle Gibson against the Oakland A's. I will say I'm okay with Streaming Rasmussen, Keller, or Michaelis, probably in that order. Uh, you know what? I'd, I'd probably do. I'd probably do Mitch Keller first. I think. I think this upside is the highest. I don't think Rasmussen, Musson, even with that matchup against the Orioles, is going to go deep enough to make a big impact. But Keller might. So I've, Keller, Rasmussen, and then Michaelis. I think I like Kyle Gibson the best. <laughs> oh really? Well, yeah, it's the best matchup. Oakland. Yeah, I don't know how. I, I don't think Kyle Gibson is that good, but Oakland right. is just really right. bad. So I will almost always prioritize the pitcher over the matchup unless Fair enough. it's like a really close call. Okay. And I I think Gibson's clearly the worst pitcher here. And then on Sunday, just two names here. A lot of pitchers for Sunday are either too highly rostered or they are just bad. So I did not include them. We have Zach Eflin against the Oakland A's and Bailey Ober against the Mariners. Uh, They're both fine. They're both fine streamers. All right. There you go, Scotty. Opening day is in the books. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. 